Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Good Good Judgment Judgment Podcast. Podcast. Folks, this is a podcast that's purpose is for Georgia judges or anybody else who might be interested in what goes on in the courtroom. Please understand that we are Georgia-focused, meaning that we are going to focus our attention on issues that arise under Georgia law, but occasionally we will get into some subjects of common interest. And we really appreciate you folks listening. And as we go to the studio audience, we ask, please hold your applause till the end. All right, now to the studio. Welcome to another episode of the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. We want to take a moment to thank all of our listeners for the amazing support we've received for this podcast. Every day, it seems like we get a kind word of encouragement from listeners, and we really appreciate that support more than you know. You know, the only thing we could ask for more than those nice words of encouragement is some topics. (laughs) Yeah, we want to talk about what you want to hear. You know, we've we've done we've done an episode on judicial writing. We've done an episode on. Are you case trying to counting. say we're scraping the bottom of the barrel? Well, I mean, we're just trying to help everybody reach out to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com and give us a different idea. My mother, the English teacher, specifically asked us to do a podcast on active and passive verbs. Well, that's you can check that off the list. So we tried serious versions of reminding you about the 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 email address, goodjudgepod at gmail.com. We tried repeating it over and over and over again. We've even tried some funny ways to say it. All right, Tango. We've had Elmo talk about it. We've heard the count talk about counting. And uh, I don't know. I think I did some other weird voices and stuff like that. Can you do Big Bird? I don't remember what Big Bird sounds like. But I can do Barney. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let all of them let's do sesame street does good judge pod at gmail.com good judge pod at gmail.com elmo thanks man hit the next one hit the other one good judge pod at gmail.com you see we've we keep trying and we just can't seem to get our listeners to share all their great ideas with us for topics that they would like to hear discussed on the podcast and so what's going to happen is if you don't do that, I'm going to keep doing weird voices, and then that's going to be bad. You know, truth be told, we're both Superior Court judges, and as you know, as much as I would like to have podcasts that my mom gets because she listens in every once in a while, and she tries really hard to follow along what we're talking about and can't really find a hook, you know, because yeah, she's not. That's a, that's really all of our listeners feel that way, <laughs> except for Christopher Hansard. Yeah, who is our really biggest fan we appreciate that so tane tell the folks what we're talking about today yeah this is an important topic and it comes up in a lot of realms but perhaps one of the cases that it comes up most often in is death penalty cases and that is inappropriate or improper judicial comments now let me just stop right there and say one of my mottos in the courtroom is I think a lot of funny things that I just can't say. That's why I like doing the Good Judgment podcast so that I can be funny and silly and crazy, which is totally not the way anybody should be in the courtroom. Right, Wade? That's right. So 17 OCGA 17857 is really the primary code section, which is which addresses judicial comments. Now, y'all need to know this was changed – I guess 
a couple years ago, I think we said 2015 was the effective date that the legislature actually changed this because it, there was a period of time where any judicial comment, even without an objection, could be a subject of a reversal. And now the there's sort of two kinds of comments. If you read through the code section, we're not going to read it for you because that will make you batty reading a statute on the, on the air. Just understand that 17857 has two different kinds of comments. It sort of identifies two different kinds of judicial comments that might be at issue in a case. Tell them what the first one is, Tane. Um, a judge's comment that any fact has or has not been proved in a criminal case. All right, Tane, you're the grammar police. Is it proved or proven? In the statute, it says proved. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. I, right. I, I would say proven, but uh, the statute says proved. All right, so the two kinds. The one that Tane just said, that is comments on what has been proved or not proved. And second kind of comment, and the one that is even more disastrous, is any sort of comment on the guilt of the accused. Now, this... This code section only applies to comments made in the presence of the jury. It doesn't really apply to bench trials or to hearings like, like motion hearings. It only really applies to comments made in front of the jury. So tell the folks what the legislature did in 2015, Tane. Well, essentially, and I won't read the statute to you, but what the legislature said was a timely objection is required um, to give the court an opportunity, if it's possible to do so, uh, to fix the issue uh, that the court has created by its comment. And But that's only on that sort of first level of comment. In other words, it's only on if you comment on what has been proved or not. That's exactly You can right. potentially, you've got to have a timely objection, and it can potentially get a curative instruction to be fixed unless it qualifies as plain error that, affects the substantive rights of the parties. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm air quoting because I understand plain error has a definition now, but affects the substantive right of the parties that that is subject to some interpretation. And so, you know, you're not, but, it, but any comment on the guilt of the accused, now let's be crystal clear about that. That second class of comments that's addressed by the statute, that's going to require a new trial and you can either go ahead and eat it then Grant the, grant the mistrial and just apologize to everybody involved. But apparently by the statute, and I think it's the cases have sort of backed this up, you can't cure that with a curative instruction. There's really nothing you can say if your comment was about the guilt of the accused. And that makes sense if you think about it, because I mean, the ultimate issue for the jury is, you know, not whether a fact has or has not been proved. The ultimate issue for the jury is whether the accused is guilty or innocent. And if you've already told them what you think as the guy or gal sitting up there in the black robe, that's kind of a bell you can't unring. Yeah. So we're going to do something a little bit that we haven't done in a while, Tane. We haven't really done a full of law and full of citations sort of podcasts that our, that our listeners might want to actually download the, the outline because we've done so much with COVID and sort of all of a sudden having to sort of turn things around real quickly to help folks understand what's happening. So yeah. let's, let's talk, let's start talking about some of this law. Well, and, well before you do that, I just want to tell our listeners, if you're driving in your car right now, this would be the time for you to dig in the, 
uh, glove compartment for a pen or get in the console and get that piece of paper out because we're going to get you to take some notes while you're driving. Uh, please. It, it'll be important folks, for you. Please don't do that. Because Go wait, where can they find the notes for Goodjudgepod.com. Goodjudgepod.com. There we go. All right. Anthony v. State. That was a 2018 case for the Supreme Court. That's where the Supreme Court sort of noted that this code section had changed in 2015. And it said that under the prior version, if no objection was made to either type of comment, the appellate courts could still make that review. However, the Supreme Court noted that the change in 15, the new version of 17857, basically said, no, and this is the quote, today in the absence of a timely objection, a judicial comment, other than a comment on the guilty of the accused, amounts to reversible error under the statute only to the extent that it is a plain error which affects substantive rights. And they cited another case, we're going to talk about it a little more in a minute, called, I guess it's Payette, P-Y-A-T-T. Versus the yeah, state, that's... 298, Georgia, 742. So, Tane, does this make sense to you? Um, I mean, it gives – It's the. it looks like it's the appellate courts giving us a little bit of leeway um, so that they can look at, co at comments judges might have made to which there wasn't any kind of timely objection and say, you know, this wasn't egregious enough that we should uh, go back and make them retry this entire case. Um, but they also gave themselves a little leeway in saying – well, if it's a really egregious comment that affects the substantive rights of the party, then uh, then we might go back and reverse that case. You know, Tane, some of the older cases, they were, and I want to believe they were all the older cases, but this one, the one I've been thinking about is 2011 case. There were some egregious examples. And yeah, definitely. <laughs> the judge just, just kind of started cross-examining or wasn't feeling the witness and was pointing out some things and whether it's right or wrong, when you have that robe on, there is a certain perception of what you think mattering. And it may not matter to your wife, may not matter to your office staff, but it matters to that jury. And when you were, Tane, do you ask many questions of witnesses in jury trials? Almost never. Um, I don't either. I, 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 I want to. I want to too. I mean, I was a I was a, a trial lawyer as you were, and you know, I think I was a you know pretty good cross examiner, or uh, you know, I was really good at exposing uh, the the elements of a case. That's not my job as the judge. You know, uh, I need to let the people try their own case, and if they do a good job at it, that's great. And if they don't do a good job at it, that's you know that's kind of on them. And and I'm I'm not there to to ask a lot of questions. I, I just be honest with you. Now, let me say here, um, and we say this a lot. Uh, first of all, people who are, we're talking about in some of these cases, the judges who made these comments are in many cases, friends of ours, or at least people that we know and like, Yeah. but I can also say there's some of these things that I can see myself doing, you know, I, I could see myself making this mistake in the heat of the moment, not really thinking about what was, what was going on. And there's some examples of these, like, for example, uh, the case that you were talking about it, or I think you were alluding to is one called Paul versus state, um, that one, where the that judge was... began. That was sorry, a bad one. Yeah, but I mean, it was one where a judge started asking questions, but he wasn't just asking questions. He was asking questions that tended to challenge a witness and even to discredit an expert. And, you know, that's getting into kind of arguing the case for one side or the other. 
Now, to be fair, there is some case law that says that the judge has authority to ask questions, quote, aimed at fully developing the truth of the case. But, folks, that case <laughs> that was cited in the 2011 case was a 1978 case. Um, Tane, do you still have anything from 78? <laughs> I, let me just put it this way. I hadn't even started college in 78. So uh, I don't have the mullet that I had in 78. I can't fit into the pants I had in 1978. Yeah, nothing, nothing from 1978 is helping me today. And it probably shouldn't be the thing we rely upon as we try cases in 2020. So it is, while, while it is, it is absolutely, you have the authority to ask some limited questions. It's just so fraught with danger. There's so many tripwires in there. Just stay out of that. I mean, that's just do your best to stay out of asking people questions. And as Tane said earlier, let the lawyers do it. But now sometimes, Tane, like you said, we're just lazy with the words. I mean, we could have said something more articulately in retrospect. We, we probably should have used another word, and we just didn't. Um, so some of these more recent appellate decisions, you know, we talked about Anthony already for a different prospect where they talked about where the law had been changed. But this is 303 Georgia 399 2018 case. Tell the folks about what happened there. And it wasn't even really during questioning. Yeah, it was during opening statement. The prosecutor told the jury that they wouldn't have the police reports out with them during deliberations and that those reports would only be used to refresh the memories of the witnesses, if at all. And the defense jumped up and objected that the state was, quote unquote, explaining the law. Now, when the judge was ruling on the objection, he said, He's talking about what's evidence and what's not evidence. That was the judge's quote. And uh, on appeal, the defendant claimed that the judge's ruling was a comment on the evidence by the trial judge. The Supreme Court rejected that as a comment on the evidence or on the guilt or innocence of the accused. And we're going to give them, the, our folks a couple of pretty e obvious examples until we get to the ones where you go, wow, I absolutely could do that. Uh, yeah. Jones versus the state. That's a 2018 case. The attending physician testified in a child abuse case and the, the testimony was dramatic. And the judge said at the end of that, uh, cross-examination or redirect or whatever it was of that physician, the, the judge said, let's take a quick break. I think that was some weighty testimony. We deserve a stretch break. Do we not? Let's do that. Now, to me, that, that never would have crossed my mind as a comment on the evidence, but when he said weighty, I don't know what that means, but the appellate court said, no, that's not, that's not what we're talking about. And, and so that one wasn't too hard to get around, but then right. you start moving. I mean, like Tane, I, I absolutely have said what the judge said in that Brown case. Yeah. Uh, in that case, Brown versus state, a 2017 case. In describing the redaction of a video confession, the judge told the jury that the statement had been reduced to only the, quote, relevant portions. And the appellate court found that that was not error because the comment was not an expression of opinion of guilt or of a disputed issue of fact. But, yeah, again, I, that wouldn't have struck me as being something that I even needed to be careful with. And that's the truth. It's redacted. Now, we have a couple of cases on in here that are the same name. They're not the same case. Um, the first Smith case, 297 Georgia 268, 2015 case, the eyewitness became noticeably upset during her testimony, real edgy with uh, being cross-examined. And the judge sent the jury out and asked the witness some questions 
about her demeanor. And she told the judge that she had just come from the doctor, that she wasn't feeling well, and that she had an ongoing medical condition, and all these questions were confusing her or something to that effect. And the judge asked the witness if she needed a break or to, you know, sort of collect herself. She said, no, I just want to get this done and get home. And so the jury came back, and the judge, trying to explain and trying to be the good leader of, of, of the three-ring circus that he or she was, said, the witness doesn't feel well this morning, ladies and gentlemen. She's having some personal medical issues. She's not upset with any of the lawyers, but she just doesn't feel well. But we're going to try to finish asking her some questions. I just wanted you all to know that the stress is really not related to this case. So we're going to try to get her out of here just as soon as we can. You can go ahead, counsel. Supreme yeah. Court noted that this comment by that judge, it was, it was not an improper judicial comment. But I'll tell you, the Chief Justice, uh, you want to talk about his vast powers? Yeah, he has vast powers that he dissented in that case. He said that the judge's comment might well have impacted a jury's consideration of the demeanor of the witness, which is an important part of any witness credibility determination made by a jury in a case. I was just chuckling as I was reading about that because it reminded me of a case that I had one time where as a witness was testifying, she winced really, uh, really hard. And um, I, I, I said, ma'am, are you okay? Because it was clear she was having some sort of physical problem. And she said, yeah, I'm okay, judge. I'm just in labor. <laughs> and she was visibly pregnant. And I said, well, do we need to stop the testimony? And she goes, no, I've had babies before. I'm fine. Let's just get finished. Let's be honest. If a guy, if that was been a male, <laughs> they'd have laid out. Oh, yeah. You oh, couldn't yeah. have brought them near that courthouse. No, you're exactly right. Nah, she was fine. She was just going into labor. Nobody you know, we did. talked about Payette or whatever, however you say this word, word is. Tell the folks about Payette, that 2016 case. Yeah, during the trial, uh, the prosecutor called a detective to the stand and had him read aloud a statement that was made by a witness who had previously testified. And the defense objected, made a continuing witness objection or something. I don't know. I mean, that's uh, not even it, close to what continuing witness is. Exactly. But at that point, uh, the court overruled. But when asked, but then asked the prosecutor why it was necessary to have the officer read the prior statement of the witness again. The prosecutor indicated that this was the critical statement, critical evidence. In response, the trial judge said, it is, but it's admitted on some basis already. Now, this case raises an important issue in regard to judicial comments. OCGA section 17-8-57 does not generally extend to colloquies between the judge and counsel regarding the admissibility of evidence. Further, the court has previously determined that remarks of a judge assigning a reason for his or her ruling are neither an expression of an opinion nor a comment on the evidence. And there are multiple cases that are cited by the court for that proposition. So basically they've said that, look, we understand that you, that you need to rule on evidence objections and you can explain your ruling to a certain degree, but don't lose your mind and go off on like a tangent and then try to cover it up and say, well, I was just ruling on the evidence. Don't, don't go there. Just rule on the evidence. And if it collaterally somehow makes an unintended point that there's actually an exception to this rule for that. But yeah, the, the appellate court, court noted, tell them what the appellate court said about, uh, yeah, it is. But when the judge said, yeah, it is critical evidence. Yeah, the appellate court noted it would have been better for the trial judge to avoid the, it is critical evidence comment, but not a comment on the evidence. 
So here comes the second. Well, actually, it's the first Smith case. It's actually the older of the two. Both of them are in our outline. Where can they find that, Tang? At goodjudgepod.com. During direct examination of a crime scene investigator, the judge says, now, prosecutor, are you going to tie all this together as to show how it's relevant to the issues in this case pretty soon? The prosecutor responded that she was attempting to give the jury a good understanding of the size of the parking lot in question. And the judge responded, you know, because of my experience with Special Agent Davis, he's a very thorough investigator. And I don't think that everything he found that day is going to be relevant to this case. The appellate courts ruled that was an explanation of the judge's ruling. Now, Tane, we, we, we've talked about things where the judge has been sustained. We probably need to talk about some in which the judge was overturned. Yeah, cases where they just went a little too far over the line. And I think that's what a lot of these cases are about. There's a certain line to which the appellate courts will let you go. But once you go beyond that, um, then you're going to get overruled. And, and the first of those is Murphy versus State. That's a 2012 case. Um, in that case, a detective was on the stand testifying about the defendant's custodial statement. An objection was made. In response, the judge said, you're asking this detective, who is a good detective, what is in someone, somebody else's head? Further, the trial court stated, this man has worked a lot of cases and he's got a recollection and he's got a written memorandum and hopefully between the two of those and his good efforts, we're going to find the truth of the matter. Now, Wade, what'd the court say about that? Court ruled that's a violation of 17857 because it's a disclosure of the judge's opinion regarding the credibility of witnesses. Now, think about that, folks. I mean, uh, we, we charged the jury at the beginning of the case that essentially we're not going to do those sorts of things. We're not going to be commenting on the evidence or telling them what evidence is more important or less important. And, um, you know, unfortunately here, uh, because of that comment, the judge seems to, as I said, have stepped beyond the line that the appellate courts will allow. There wasn't even an objection in that case. The judges of the Supreme Court said, uh, the justices said, that's just plain error. And that's going to get reversed even without an objection. And that leads us to a a case a good friend of mine tried, Jones versus the state. Hey, do you remember a long time ago we had an FOP named Garen Mueller? Yeah, friend of the podcast. Well, he tried this case in front of our other good friend, Judge Blanchard. So the defendant's pro se. Now, Tane, you know, it's like every bad movie starts with, well, the defendant was pro se. (laughs) that's right yeah the the bad things can happen in that circumstance this is a rape case victim on the stand and there were several days of cross-examination and repeatedly he was asking the same thing of the victim our friend our fop objected And in response, the defendant says, well, judge, I'm just trying to get the truth. Really saying, I'm going to keep asking the question until she answers it the way I want her to. And the judge responded, sir, all of this is truth. Move on to your next question. The Court of Appeals this time reversed this rape conviction based upon that comment by the trial judge. The judge was truly, was, was, in my mind, clearly trying to communicate all of this testimony is under oath. But what he said is all of this testimony is truth. And that resulted in that case being reversed. Now, Tane, there are two exceptions to this rule. 
One we've talked about a little bit. So why don't you tell the folks about both of these exceptions? Sure. So the exception to comments by the judge are first, it's okay to have some sort of comment as long as it doesn't go too far when ruling on objections. And that's the Piat case and the Willis versus State case, which is a 2018 case. And then the next exception are comments made in an attempt to regulate the proceedings. And uh, this is a, a case in the outline Ledford, L-E-D-F-O-R-D versus the state, for those of you riding while you're driving. Um, it was <laughs> disappointing none of you. And none of you, stop doing that. Uh, it was disapproved on other grounds in another case, but uh, in Ledford, the judge approved of a jury view of a location where the victim's body was discovered. It was a wooded area. Uh, in preparing do you ever, for the, do you, when's the last time you've done a jury view? I did a jury view as a uh, lawyer in a case uh, 20 years ago, and it actually turned out to be a really good uh, request on my part to have the jury view. It was a piece of property that was in dispute as to how much it was worth and whether it had been damaged. Uh, and we let the jury go out and look at it, and they concluded the same thing I would, which is it's a dump and it isn't worth anything. But anyway, uh, I digress. So there was a jury view. And in preparing the jury for its visit to the crime scene, the trial judge stated, I'll ask the sheriff to go because in the woods, there are all kinds of critters, snakes and dogs and cats and whatever might be out there. That comment was made as a part of a proper exercise of the trial court's duty to manage the trial proceedings and to ensure the well-being of the jury. To me, that's, that's fairly obvious that that was not an attempt to comment on the evidence. I don't even know really how you get to an argument that's a comment on the evidence, except that, that what they said was it was somehow indicating or vibing to the jury that this was a dangerous place. So anyway, that, that, in that case, they said, no, if you're just trying to regulate the proceeding, that's not a comment on the evidence. Now you could lose your mind and, and carry on about it. And, and again, try to cover it up with the, with the blanket. That's just a little bit too small you know, that being, I was just trying to regulate or I was just ruling on an objection. You can go too far. And, and I'll be honest with you. I've had a case that I almost went too far and it, it was a pure intent, bad sound on a transcript. You know, yeah. Tim, we've talked about how one of the most humiliating things you can do as a judge or a lawyer is to read yourself on a transcript only to be exceeded by listening to a podcast you're on. That's right. So, <laughs> Folks, if you find yourself in one of these situations, if you make a misstatement, if it was a part of a ruling or objection, make a curative instruction, deny the motion for mistrial, and carry on unless it was just something so probably accidental but egregious that you just can't cure it. The same would be true as if it was just your attempt to regulate the proceedings or somehow talk about that's cumulative evidence or something like that that's all, that's all fine. You can make a curative instruction and you can carry on. However, Tane, if it's a comment on the defendant's guilt. Yeah. You're going to have to grant the mistrial request with apologies to everybody who's involved. I mean, there are some cases as Wade said, where we just have to bite the bullet as judges recognize that we've made a mistake that can't be cured and either grant a mistrial or in some cases you don't, you don't look at it until you've got that cold transcript in front of you and you realize I'm going to have to grant a new trial in a case and try it all over again. 
And if it is, I mean, Lord knows no, nobody's trying to do that, but it happens. And I guess it's as, as much of a sin to deny the mistrial that you ought to grant as it is to not. You know what True. I'm saying? Yeah. And, and then remember also any alleged comment on the evidence requires a timely objection unless the comment could be construed as affecting the substantive rights of the parties. So again, you may be called on to analyze your own comment in a motion for new trial in that respect. And that's the criteria by which you have to judge that comment. But the comment on the defendant's guilt, y'all it's, that doesn't require an objection. It doesn't require, it can be reversed at any time. Right. So when we so when we wrap up this section on judicial comments, I'll tell you I I've been guilty of it. Um, luckily, it was not something that was reversible error. It was an attempt to make sure the lawyer was listening to the responses, and the way I said it was just completely wrong. But it was it was came from a good spot. It just the execution was pretty poor. So when we wrap this up, Tane, if it's your habit to to ask questions of witnesses, please stop. Yeah, it's just it's going to turn out bad. And remember, you can rule on objections, but keep it within the bounds of actually ruling on the objections. And sometimes just stop talking. If you find you're babbling and trying to find the right words, just stop talking. Don't be lazy with your words. Try your best to articulate and make a whole sentence that, you know, needs punctuation and stuff. Um, that's really a good way to, to get to the heart of this. And so if you use slang or if you use some common phrases and you find yourself saying something, oh, I wish I could take that back. It's usually, honestly, it's not from a malicious po point. It's, it's really from just little, being a little bit lazy with your words. That's right. And then remember, don't get frustrated or exasperated, particularly when you have pro se parties. Um, just rule and fight, fight, fight that urge to put any biting sarcasm or any uh, pithy retorts or something that you think might amuse the jury or anybody else who's listening, fight that urge. Because as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I think a lot of really funny things in court and 99.9% .9 of them, I just don't say. Sometimes I write them on a little sticky note and hand them to my court clerk, but uh, I don't say them out loud. Do you ever think funny thoughts about the podcast? I think funny thoughts during the podcast and most of them, I just go ahead and say. Folks, this is Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell, and thank you so much for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. Now, go wash your doggone hands. Thank you, folks, for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. This podcast was originally the brainchild of Mr. Doug Ashworth, the executive director of ICJE. Special thanks to the University of Georgia College of Law and specifically Jim Henneberger uh, for their technical assistance and providing the studio for us. Thanks, as always, to Stephen Turner and Turner Up Media, who does his best to get as much of our stupidity as he can. But he can't get it all. We are eternally grateful to CSCJ, the Council of Superior Court Judges, for allowing us to handle NJO and their support in this project. Folks, these are our own opinions. They represent the opinions of Wade Padgett and Tane Kell and do not reflect the opinions of the Council of Superior Court Judges, UGA College of Law, ICJE, or really anybody else for that matter. You can contact us at our website at goodjudgepod.com or you can contact us on email at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Folks, please rate and review our podcast on whatever listening app you may be using. It'll go a long way to help others find the podcast. So, Tane, I guess we better bang the gavel on this one. Anything else you feel like we need to say? No, that's all, Wade.
Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Mint Podcast.